This is the Cubs Related Podcast presented by CubsInsider.com. My name is Corey. I am joined as always by Brendan and we are coming to you on Monday, November 8th. And Brendan, it's the off season. The Braves have won the World Series yes, and have. we have stuff to talk about. Stuff is happening. We have stuff happening faster than I thought, Corey. It's going to be a crazy off season, but a lot of surprises. Yeah, we've got qualifying offers going out, so we'll touch on some of the relevant ones to the Cubs, kind of some guys that maybe we should be keeping an eye on or maybe no longer keeping an eye on because they received a qualifying offer, things like that. And we've got free agents, Andrew Heaney, signing with the Dodgers today Mm -hmm. on Monday, so the free agent market is already moving just like that. Um, and the Cubs have made a move, uh, and so we will talk about their newest addition to their starting rotation, uh, what the Cubs are getting there, and what it means in terms of this offseason. But yeah, Brendan, it's it's nice to, after all those weeks of going through the playoffs and speculation and just sort of talking about front office changes, to have baseball transactions to come on here and talk about. Well, it feels like, all right, we can put to bed the last three months, four months, whatever it is. All of that time was leading up to this offseason, right? Like this offseason, we talk about it in years past, but this one in particular is likely the most transformative since that 2015-2016 offseason with all the payroll flexibility, kind of like the fork in the road. Do you go and try to compete this year? Do you have one eye towards the future? And we don't really know. I feel as if it can go either way. And there's so many possibilities where you can improve and maybe you can have the best of both worlds. Right. And we also do still have the kind of looming, I guess, potentially dark cloud of the CBA negotiations to, you know, maybe bring things to a halt or delay of the course. season, anything like that. So it, yeah, it does feel like this offseason has kind of a myriad of directions that that we can be heading. And, and really when stuff started happening the other day, it did kind of dawn on me, you know, when you talk about the huge transitional nature of this offseason and the magnitude of some of these decisions, like once stuff started happening, I, I, had, I did have like a moment of like, oh, man, like, am I ready for this? Like, I don't know what's going to happen here. Like, some major <laughs> You enjoyed your break happen. a little bit, that three-month, like, layover? Good for you, Corey. Yeah, yeah, and then it, you know, s- stuff starts coming over the transaction wire, and you're like, oh, man, like, something big could happen, like, any time now, or maybe not, but, like, we're, we're in it now. I know, we're relevant again, all of a sudden, just like that. Well, we'll see, but... Um, we'll see. So let's let's dig into what the Cubs did, and I want to talk about this move in a couple of kind of uh, different perspectives. The first perspective is who the Cubs got, and the answer to that is a starting pitcher, left-hander Wade Miley from the Cincinnati Reds, and then, you know, what he's bringing to the table. Obviously, have Brendan kind of, you know, do his pitching lab breakdown for us of, of what to expect there on, an, on a given night where Miley is starting. And then also look at sort of the transaction from a, you know, pulled back perspective of maybe what this says about the Cubs offseason, just general thoughts on this type of transaction and and Jed and and his team now with Carter Hawkins being active this early. So there's kind of two facets, I, I think, to this move. But again, the move itself is the Cubs claiming Wade Miley on waivers for one year and $10 million. Uh, Wade Miley is in his mid-30s, coming off a 
pretty good season, Brendan. Um, you know, a a 3.3-ish ERA, a 3.9-ish FIP. So he did outperform the strikeout, walk, and home run numbers, but only by a little bit, and the FIP was still good. So it, it just in, in, you know, again, looking at just him as a pitcher, we'll touch on maybe more of what the transaction means separately. Um this is little wasted time, right? Jed Hoyer said that starting pitching needed major change and that that was going to be the priority. And pretty much the second stuff was able to happen, right, in terms of these transactions, Jed was on it and and bringing one over. So, um, you know, again, obviously a a mid-30s lefty who doesn't throw very hard, but coming off a good season, gets a ton of ground balls through a no-hitter, um, you know, so can you take us through a little bit of, of what the Cubs are getting here in Wade Miley and, you know, certainly where he fits into the rotation now, but even more so like where he might fit into uh, maybe an ideal rotation if you're looking at kind of what we're hoping the Cubs do the rest of this offseason, like where he might slot into a solid rotation? Yeah, the Miley move in a, in a vacuum makes so much sense. If you compare what Andrew Heaney just got, which is $8 million for one year, to Wade Miley's one year, $10 million, basically a negligible difference. And the recent performance by Miley is dramatically better than what we've seen with Heaney. Now, Heaney's stuff is better He's younger. He's going to be 31. The Dodgers likely see something that they can adjust to bring Heaney some more success. But for Miley, the the resume is already there. He's already made the changes successfully that is likely to lead to some success. So the changes he made date back to 2018. 2018 was the year where he developed his cutter. Since then, his cutter has been his dominant pitch. He leads with his cutter half the time. The command on that pitch, really good. If you go to Baseball Savant, look at those heat maps, he's pinpointing the inside portion of the plate to right-handed batters with absolute precision. And there is some videos, even against the Cubs, he's making Frank Schwindel look out in front, getting a lot of whiffs, getting a lot of weak contact, and that's his MO. He's going to use cutters, and then he's going to use change-ups. He uses a change-up once every four pitches, cutter once every other pitch. And so that combination since 2018 has led him to the top 25th percentile in weak contact since 2018. That's that's impressive. And you have FIP, you have strikeouts, you have, you have walks, home runs, all of that, right? That might suggest, hey, maybe Miley's not the ideal guy, and that might be fair. But given how the Cubs have operated in the past with inducing weak contact, going after more high command guys, as you saw with with what Kyle Hendricks has done and Alec Mills more recently, Miley's kind of in that category of lots of weak contact, lots of stability, and for $10 million, it's a relative steal. The risks that come with that are one, age, and two, maybe we'll see what they do with the rest of the offseason, but maybe kind of deploying your resources and your money in a place with Miley and his age is not suitable to, to compete. 
at a high level in 2022. I don't think that's the case. When I saw Wade Miley was signed by the Cubs, my first reaction was excited. I, I could actually not believe they signed someone so quickly right. in the offseason. I feel as if in years past, it took them like months for them to do that. So overall, what you're going to get with Miley is a back of the rotation guy, stability, great command, few walks, lots of weak contact, lots of cutters, lots of change-ups, and maybe the potential to continue to change. You don't know what else Tommy Hadovy has in mind for uh, Wade Miley. You know, he's pumped up. There was a quote from Tommy Hadovy that I want to read right now that I think speaks volume, and that quote is, Nothing but good things I've heard on him as a person and a competitor. We need starters, and this is basically like signing him to a one-year deal. He definitely adds depth to what we want to do this year, and being left-handed adds more diversity to the group. Pumped, we got him, end quote. So, I mean, there you go, right? I think Tommy Hadovy sums it up perfectly, and it gives likely the Cubs more flexibility to make more moves. If Tommy Hadovy's pumped, you can rest assured I mean, there's no that ar- the yeah, members of this podcast are pumped. Hadovy. Yeah. Exactly. So I, I think, you know, with a move like this, like the real thing for me is I think this is one about perspective, right? Like it, this isn't so much about being super excited about Wade Miley specifically, right? Like, you know, of course, like he's an aging lefty starter whose velo is, you know, was ticking down. He he relies on that, um, you know, precision command. So certainly like there's questions, right? But for one year and $10 million, like, this guy was really good last year. And, you know, if you were just looking at last year, it was a season that was worth more than $10 million. The commitment does not go longer than 2022. So if you're thinking about, you know, the next prospect wave and, you know, putting money on the books that, you know, you don't want there whenever you're at your peak next, right, this move is not going to affect that. If Wade Miley is good and the Cubs are not, he's the type of guy that can probably pretty easily be flipped if he's having a solid season, veteran presence, easy sell at the trade deadline, right, if that's where the Cubs end up. And hopefully he's just a solid member of a deeper rotation. You know, this is one of those things where in most off-seasons we usually kind of try to judge it in its totality, right? Not just on one single move. If Wade Miley is the best pitcher that the Cubs add to this rotation, then yeah, like that's not good enough and that's not good. And and it would change the perspective of this move. But given the speed of this acquisition and how much money the Cubs have to spend, how much emphasis has been put on fixing the rotation and adding to the rotation. This feels like Jed identifying a very quick way to start that process, right? You need arms. You need several arms. They're not all going to be top of the rotation type guys. You need that depth. And we talked about that so much during the 2021 season where uh, you know, how many times, Brendan, did you and I talk about needing more length and just guys oh giving gosh. you some semblance of a consistent start every fifth day, right? And it was a huge problem for the Cubs. And Wade Miley's not necessarily a guy who you're going to be looking at to go seven, eight innings a night. But when you're getting a veteran coming off a good year, you you feel like you can hopefully rely on him to give you some quality starts every now and again. And the Cubs just desperately needed that. Right. So this was the guy that was available first, and they jumped on it. So I I think it's a great move. 
And if he's able to keep up that pristine command, the way he locates those pitches make it very difficult to do a lot of damage on him. So, you know, now you get him into the pitch lab with Tommy Hadovy and his team, and you see if, you know, maybe they tweak some things, try to find some stuff. But I think the confidence should be there that he can at least be a solid depth starter for this rotation. Well, which is what I like. And I was interested in, in Heaney as well. I mean, with Heaney, he had double-digit strikeout rates, good command. It's a lot of home runs. But if the Cubs do ultimately want to compete in 2022, and I think there's a good chance they want to do that, regardless of those intentions, having someone like Miley, who's more projectable, more likely to, to bring you value in the form of wins, or in the form of a trade. Maybe the Cubs can go out there, and if they end up not being a division contender by late June, July, you get something back for them for $5 million. That's a slam dunk, no-brainer, highly projectable pitcher. The only downside is that age. That age is a contributing factor, but the way he throws, the way that lefties tend to age, you look at John Lester as an example, Corey, it seems to be that they kind of just escape some of that age-related de- uh, decline. So I'm happy about it. Again, I was shocked to, to see a Cubs move this this early, Corey. And it does signal to me that we're going to see more. That's just an opinion. I could, I could see it going the other way, too. But to spend $10 million this quickly, I don't know. I feel as if that has to signal something that there is more moves to be made. Yeah, and so let's get into that aspect of it, right? So, you know, again, like I... I don't want the sort of because you know you you felt like there was some extremes when this move happened and and when we're looking at this move I think some of the you know if you want to call it excitement or whatever right the buzz around this move again it's it's not necessarily about feeling like oh wow Wade Miley he's the best like no way it's it's more of like that the Cubs were aggressive on this and that they are spending some money right away and addressing the stuff that they said they were going to address, right? So let's get into kind of that perspective of it. And the first of which, and, you know, again, if we are revisiting this conversation in a couple months and the Cubs have not made more significant additions, then yeah, it, it changes your perspective on that. But I think we're all hoping that that's not the case. And even if the Cubs spent money just to get back to last year's payroll floor, they would still be adding a lot of players. So there's still a lot of room for growth here, even if they're not going to go above that. Um, But what really stood out to me and what I was quite pleased with to start was that the Reds traded Tucker Barnhart to avoid paying his $7.5 million option, I believe. So that signaled to everybody the Reds are going to be cheap. They're they're probably going to cut payroll. They're not viewing themselves in a contention window, and they're going to slash some payroll, right? And so what ended up happening was the Reds tried to trade Wade Miley, but of course the other GMs and presidents in the league are not morons. Uh, they just saw <laughs> them trade Tucker Barnhart to avoid paying $7 million, so they did not bite on that trade. They waited, and then the Cubs got him on waivers for just money, right? And so really simply, what I loved about that was the Reds are being cheap and saying, we don't want this guy who just had a solid season for us because we don't want to pay him this money. And the Cubs were like, well, we will, right? 
And, you know, you're coming off an offseason where at times that was not what the Cubs were doing, right? You look at uh, Kyle, right, who ends up on the Nationals and then the Red Sox. And at the time, you know, it was a money thing. John Lester ended up on the Nationals. It was a money thing. They didn't have the funds at the time because they didn't know if there was going to be fans, whatever, you know, BS excuse they were using at the time, right? And that's not what happened this time. It was a different team you know, acting like they don't have any money and the Cubs saying, no, we'll take on that money because this is a solid player. So that, that was the yeah. first thing that jumped out to me, Brendan, is just like they wasted no time. They saw an opportunity and they're like, yeah, we will take on this money if you guys don't want it. Yeah. Well, that's what it comes down to. I think that's a great point uh, comparing last year. We, we didn't hear about any of these moves, even the jock move until after the fact that we knew fans could be in Wrigley Field, right? So having this type of, from day one of the offseason, this stake in the ground, hey, we're going to go out and improve our pitching staff right away, you know money may not be as restricted as you think. If it were restricted, maybe the Cubs wait it out. You see what the market looks like, you see what happens with the CBA, and you kind of you know, you play your cards, but that's not what they're doing. They're being aggressive for the first time in years, I feel like. I think what, since like the 2017 offseason, they made moves this early. So that, to me, gives me optimism. We're, we're going to hear more, I think. I think they're going to be more aggressive. It's just, this is the first time maybe the Jed has the opportunity to spend this type of money, and this is what he's doing. He's maybe being more aggressive than his predecessor and getting out in front. It would be very weird, and I think you mentioned this, like it would be very weird if there's, you know, super limited funding and the Cubs were like, yeah, let's give $10 million to Wade Miley, right? It just, that seems like an odd strategy, especially so quickly. So you would think that that is not going to be the case. Um, But the, the second thing that I really like about this, and we've kind of touched on this already, was, again, like Jed Hoyer was railing about needing to overhaul the rotation, needing starters, and he also kept bringing up the point that the Cubs may need to be creative with their spending and opportunistic with their spending. And if this move doesn't check all of those boxes, right, like I don't know what does, right? You have a guy coming off a 3.3-ish ERA season that another team is basically just giving away as long as you're willing to pay a very reasonable price tag for just a year-long commitment. And Jed was like, yeah, great, right? Like, I've got a lot of positions I need to fill. We're not even really in, in the free agent market yet. This hasn't even all kicked into gear. And I just added an arm to my rotation. So great, box checked. Yeah. I can move on and start looking at, you know, other guys and maybe higher priced upper tier starting pitchers to kind of fill things out. But you needed that depth, right? And so you've got some of it and now you try to fill in the rest. But I I just am am pleased that so quickly they are at least in just this one moves. move, right? There's a lot of time <laughs> yeah. left, right? But just in this one move they're do he's doing what he said he would right they're addressing pitching and they're being opportunistic and creative with how they're spending their money well the one counter argument is well the cubs went out and got another soft baller and mm-hmm. you see that with Hendricks. now you have wade miley alec mills and there's the potential that all three of those guys are going to get significant innings and a thought process that i that i read is this is too many low velocity guys 
likely not going to bring a lot of success as a result. And my my response to that, my thinking to that is in the regular season, it doesn't matter. You have 162 games. You know, a 3.8 FIP is a 3.8 FIP, whether you're throwing 95 right. or 90. Once you get into the playoffs, it's a different sport, man. There's some really fascinating data coming out from, you know, all the StatCast guys, Tom Tango, um, really the entire community showing just like spin rate ramps up, velocity ramps up, the hitters' aggressiveness ramp up. It's a different environment. So if the Cubs go into the playoffs throwing back to back to back, Mills, Miley, Hendricks, yeah, that may not be the best strategy, but is that going to happen? Pro- probably not. It's gonna the, the entire playoff scenario is going to be fueled by a completely different strategy. You got to get there first. Right. And, you know, especially with the soft tossing notion, like, you know, part of it too is this is the guy who is available, right? And, you know, you you just said it, right? Like, however you're getting there, if you're, if you're putting up a good FIP uh, and those underlying numbers are good, they're good, right? And this is the guy who is available. Like, the Cubs can't necessarily just sit around and say, oh, well, this is a good opportunity, but we already have a guy that throws slow, so we can't do that, right? Like, <laughs> right. You got to jump on what you can jump on and you deal with the rest later. It also goes to something we talked about, I think, last week or maybe two episodes ago, where, you know, the game obviously changes, as you mentioned, especially when you're in the playoffs and you condense things down. And the Cubs have some interesting guys. So, you know, do we maybe see Wade Miley followed by someone like Adbert Alzali at times, or Keegan Thompson, or Justin Steele, guys who provide a different look and don't necessarily go about things the same way? They And, it, you know, those are just the three names that come to mind. Like, I don't know what they're going to do with everybody. But, um, you know, we've seen the Cubs kind of prepping some guys for different roles, swing roles, long relief roles, stuff like that. We talked about Braylon Marquez, you know, Jed Hoyer has referred to him as a potential pitching weapon at some point. You know, do you see piggyback type things? Like you can figure all of that out later. But like you said, Brennan, you just need guys who can get you innings and get results when they're pitching those innings. And, you know, at least for now, we don't have any reason to believe that Miley's not going to be able to do that. Given what we've seen from him, again, the way he throws, it's it's likely not. And talking about Keegan Thompson and, and Alice Eli, and guess who's going to be back next year? Braylon Marquez. Like, we're going to be hearing more about these higher effort guys who had success out of the bullpen last year with the Cubs in, in maybe roles that are adapting with the league. The fact that the Braves won the World Series the way they did and the fact that the Nationals just, you know, won full regular season to go did something very similar that's unorthodox with pitching guys basically every third day fourth day suggests and signals to me that the way we've been thinking for the last 15 20 years with this you know stable static five-man rotation it's different now you get arms get some power arms get some balance with innings during the regular season and you see what happens Corey when you think about like Hendricks, Sinalis Eli, Justin Steele, Keegan Thompson, Alec Mills, and then maybe a few more free agents and continue to have guys develop, you know, Braylon Marquez is going to be in there. It's it's exciting. You can see it work. It needs more moves. That's undeniable, but you can see the rotation working and that bullpen working as you start to accumulate these types of arms. You have to see the totality of the moves, the additions, and and what this overall plan kind of looks like, right, before you're really able to 
give a grade or judge a move, uh, you know, for real and, and be certain of, of what you're evaluating. But I think for a move that happened like basically on the first day of the off season, right? Like I was pretty pleased with this. It's, it's, it's opportunistic and it's just saying like, yeah, like if the Reds don't want to pay this guy, we'll pay this guy. And if it goes along with some other bigger moves, I think that, you know, we'll look back on this as a really, really solid move from Jed Hoyer and this front office. So I, I think, you know, tough to be anything but pleased, um, with this type of move, uh, especially this early on in the off season. So I, I think it, it speaks volumes, hopefully, for what we're going to see from Jed Hoyer and Carter Hawkins and the rest of this front office, um, that they're going to be aggressive and that they're going to, you know, try to address these holes. And, you know, again, like you don't have a long-term commitment here. If it doesn't work out, okay, big deal, Right. It, 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 it's such a low risk that this is exactly the type of thing you were hoping the Cubs would be doing, and it took them very little to find that opportunity and strike on it. So I think overall, this is a really nice start to whatever this offseason is going to look like. So I want to transition now to sort of the rest of this offseason and, 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 you know, sort of maybe set the table a little bit for free agency and and what is to come. Obviously, there's a certain portion that we can't really forecast, right? And that is, uh, you know, Jed Hoyer has mentioned a ton that maybe they would trade prospects uh, for other teams' players, maybe take on more money. We, you know, that can come out of nowhere. It's tough for us to know those talks or, or where that would be coming from. But what we can look at is the free agent group, who's available, who got these qualifying offers, and identify some guys who maybe are not at that top tier of free agent, but that just scream, you know, someone the Cubs should be in on. Maybe they, you know, not too much per year, not going to be looking for, you know, a five plus year contract and just really fit where the Cubs are at right now in getting to that goal of being competitive in 2022, but not necessarily mortgaging the future to get there. So first, I want to read Jordan Bastian put out a tweet that just has a refresher uh, for the Cubs in terms of signing players as a free agent who have rejected a qualifying offer. So what would happen to the Cubs is they would lose their second highest selection in the 2022 draft. They would lose $500,000 from their international bonus pool for the upcoming signing period. And if they sign two such players uh, who have rejected a qualifying offer, they also lose their third highest remaining pick and an additional $500,000. So those are pretty significant penalties. And, you know, given that the Cubs are more future-oriented, you've obviously probably heard a lot of talk that the Cubs might not do this, or they might not consider players like this uh, because they don't want to give up draft picks, they don't want to give up their international spending money, uh, because that's, you know, may conflict with sort of that mortgaging of the future for the present type thing. We'll see. Now, as for who received a qualifying offer, here are the players, um, and this is, you know, as of a few days ago, but this was the list. Freddie Freeman, 
Eduardo Rodriguez, Nicholas Castellanos, Trevor Story, Carlos Carrera, Justin Verlander, Rafael Iglesias, Corey Seager, Chris Taylor, Michael Conforto, uh, and I believe he actually already declined that, Noah Syndergaard, Brandon Belt, Robbie Ray, and Marcus Semien. So that is the group. Uh, you know, I think obviously a lot of those names are pretty obvious. Um, and so, Brendan, like the, the first thing that I, I want to ask you is, We'll see if the Cubs decide to play in this pool, right? Like we've talked about Castellanos before. We've talked about Seager, Correa, Trevor Story. So we know that those are guys we'd love the Cubs to have. Don't know if they're going to consider that, right? It, It certainly seems possible that they just do not. They rule that out, right? But when you look at the players who did not receive a qualifying offer. And I there's too many for me to read. Not It's not as concise of a list as the ones that did. Um, but are there players who stand out to you? And I already know that the answer is yes, because you're <laughs> obsessed with a few of them, um, that just sort of scream like this is the ideal candidate for where the Cubs are at right now. Well, you can see a lot of them making sense. Ideal might be a strong word, but it might be the right word too. It depends what the total plan is for the offseason. But the guys who, I guess maybe I should not have been shocked, but I still am surprised when I, when I hear their names. Steven Matz, he makes sense. John Gray was someone that was a surprise. Like league-wide, seems as if the Rockies would have given him a QO or they would have traded him during the deadline. So that that was that was bizarre. And then Del Scalfani was also a surprise for me as well. I thought he had a nice year. I thought he may have gotten that QL, but you know, the Giants appear to be stressed for money at this point and it didn't happen. So I can see all three of those guys making sense. I know Carlos Rodon got that uh did not get that qualifying offer. I don't know if he makes as much sense, but I'm still interested, but not as much as the other three guys. Of those three guys now, the one that does interest me the most, even more than Gray, although it's close, is Steven Matz. And Steven Matz is interesting because he's had success, like immediate success. I know Gray plays at Coors Field. It's hard to contextualize some of the poor runs that he's given up. But for Matz, he throws in the mid-90s. He's got good command. He's got an above-average strikeout rate. And he throws a lot of sinkers in on the hands up in the zone. It sounds like a pitcher the Cubs have been working with successfully for you know the past three years now. So when I see these this, this group of pitchers, I'm trying to balance in my head stability yet having a higher ceiling. And for Matt, I feel like he has more of that stability feature than someone like John Gray. And I feel like Matt has more of a ceiling than someone like Del Scafani, even though Del Scafani may be in the same type of bucket for stability. But for, for Matt, this is what he has. He has a, an immediate history of stamina. So in 2018, 30 starts. 2019, 30 starts. Last season, 29 starts. Throws a sinker half the time, 95 miles per hour, change up, and then he finishes off uh, with a curve or slider once every four pitches. No qualifying offer, recent success, ability to eat innings, throws really fast, has a pitch that Tommy Hadevi and company love using, 
Seems like a slam dunk. So I hope the Cubs do go after him pretty hard. I don't know what his asking price will be. Some of the projections for some of these signings seem to be like very low. Like some even put him in the 40 to 60 million range. That would be awesome. If they can get mass for 40 to 50 million, that's a slam dunk deal. You got to do it right now. Yeah. So, I mean, I think there are a lot of interesting candidates. I mean, I'll say, you know, John Gray has always kind of seemed like an interesting name, you know, just because he he hasn't necessarily been as good as, you know, he was initially hyped as in Colorado, but, you know, there's always like, get the guy out of Colorado. Um, yeah. And, you know, he's just not going to command that long of a deal. Can I, can I make it, can I make an admission? Sure. Like, Okay. I mean, I'm kind of embarrassed saying this, but I guess I'm going to say it. Like, I when the when the draft was going on in 20, was it 2013, like, not going to lie, like, I kind of wanted the Cubs to draft Gray over Chris Bryant. <laughs> so, it's, well, that's it's, a it's, weird thing to admit on your own I podcast. Will, I'm okay, bringing that up. I'm, letting I'm us bringing that. I'm bringing that up because now we're like we're living in a world where the Cubs might choose right. Gray over Chris Bryant. So that's the only reason why I bring it up. So well, win a World whatever. Series with Chris and then yeah. get John Gray on the cheap, I guess, right? Yeah, and then win another World uh, Series. Right. Yep. Um, you know, but yeah, like these these guys just fit what they're looking at. And, you know, again, maybe they pursue a trade. Do they look at someone in that, you know, maybe higher tier like Marcus Stroman? We'll see. But, you know, when you look at guys like Gray or Matt, et cetera, like they just really seem to fit what the Cubs are looking for right now, which is short-term deals that are not too expensive. And, and maybe they're even guys that you can outbid teams for because you're so interested in in having them for the short term and and giving you a chance to win in this short term without sacrificing too much money in in the future when you're you know hoping that you you have a a a better team and more prospects coming up and and things like that so it's it's an interesting list um I, I think there's a lot of opportunity there and I think you know especially when you look at how quickly the Cubs acted on Wade Miley It'll be interesting to see if they try to get in there and and be aggressive on some of these guys and just get get guys in, especially you know before things derail with the CBA. If they are going to derail, like the GM meetings are going on right now, so you know you kind of have to stand by and and see how all that plays out. But it, it wouldn't necessarily surprise me. You know, you saw the Dodgers act very quickly on Andrew Heaney. Like it seemed like he wanted to stay in Southern California. He was coming from the Yankees, but he had been on the Angels prior to that. So it seemed like he he just sort of liked Southern California. Obviously, the Dodgers is a, is a good landing spot. Um, but, you know, do we see the Cubs similarly try to act quickly and start filling some of these holes as, as, as fast as they can on some of these guys? And I think some of them are really clearly um, good candidates for that. So uh, yeah, I, I think for me, like John Gray just sort of makes the most sense as as someone to add to this rotation. Um, you know, would that be enough? Would you need more? I, you know, I, I'd still probably like to see them add at least two arms. Um, then you, you it, it just gives you so much more flexibility in terms of what you do with guys like Alzali or Alec Mills or Justin Steele and anybody else. Like it just to have that flexibility, I think would be great. Um, but we shall see about. Do so you that. want two more arms, like two more additional arms in free agency? I mean, I would feel great about that. Yeah, that would be nice, man. Yeah, yeah they can go in, if they can go in the season with like, like in an ideal world, Strowman, Matts, and my, if all three of those guys get signed, we're, we're going to be a division contender. Like we're going to be within one 
standard deviation of the division projections. No doubt about it. Yeah, I mean, like, you know, if you can end up in a place where Wade Miley is like your four, right? I mean, like that sounds yeah, great. Man. And then you, you know, can have Alzali slot in as your five. There's so much less pressure on him, right? He can kind of just do his thing, continue to make adjustments, things like that just feels like a great spot. And, you know, I think you and I in particular are probably bullish um, on Kyle Hendricks, you know, not repeating some of the, uh, you know, bad starts that he had in 2021. Like we're always sort of just going to be believers in Kyle Hendricks to to turn things around and make those adjustments. I mean, there's, a, there's, there's a possibility he's not going to be like that 3.5 ERA type guy. There is a possibility that it happens, but if you get the other guys, then you do balance out that type of risk. Right. So, yeah, I mean, you know, again, it's, it's going to be interesting. And then as we kind of alluded to, like, do they play in this pool of players who have rejected a qualifying offer. And I, I don't know the answer. It certainly wouldn't surprise me. I think it's a consideration for a lot of teams, especially when you don't know, uh, you know, how the CBA is going to change things, how, you know, if there's going to be a season, right? Like that seems like an extreme concern, but it's, it's possible, right? So then if you're talking about mm. signing these guys, what do you lose as a result of that? It's, it, it is a consideration, uh, you know, whether we want it to be or not. So obviously for as much as we'd love to see them maybe reunite with Nick Castellanos, bring in one of those top, top shortstops in Story, Seager, Correa, do they play in that market? That's, that's kind of, I think, one of the big ifs of, of this offseason for the Cubs. So uh, Seager, uh, Stroman, Gossman, any of those guys, you sign any three of those guys, like two or three of those guys, like you're, you're contending this year there's just no doubt about it right um yeah man i don't know i feel like i'm like i feel as if i'm irrationally optimistic at this point like this miley deal messes with me dude because i didn't expect it and it makes so much sense and then you think that it's not going to have much bearing on what you do for the rest of the free agent market that's the beauty about this type of deal and you can easily imagine getting Stroman because he does not have that qualifying offer and easily imagine complimenting them with Mats who may not get that type of lucrative offer. And all of a sudden we went from, man, it'd be nice to have like two free agents to maybe like three starting free agents on this team at cost effective prices yeah. without giving up any draft picks. That is a big deal. Yeah. And I, and I think, you know, again, no matter what, really, this season is going to carry a lot of what ifs, right? Because no matter what, you're you're still going to be looking at a lot of playing time potentially going to guys who, you know, can they repeat the season they had? Can they make adjustments? Can they continue the success, etc.? And we've talked about a lot of those guys, right? Um, so there's going to be questions, but that's kind of a given with where the Cubs are at, right? Like that's why you're signing a lot of these guys to short-term deals. That's why you're not looking to commit long-term money and long-term years to these guys because you're not really sure what's going to happen. So it, it, their success in 2022 is almost certainly going to rely on things breaking their way in a lot of ways, maybe a team not running away with the division and then being able to keep things close, et cetera. But that's the plan. That that's that's okay. That's that's part of the plan. And I think that, you know, really where you're coming from, Brendan, and I agree with you in terms of the optimism is that it just seems possible for them to do it, 
right? Like with the money that they have available, even, you know, not putting them at, at some of the spending points that we've seen them at, at their peak over the last several years, like there just seems to be a, a way to reason this all together, right? Like where you add a couple things here and if, you know, some things go your way, you get the performances from some guys that you're really hoping to get, maybe a couple guys break through and kind of hit that next level. Like, it seems possible. And again, a lot of work to be done, right? Jed and Carter have a ton of work, a ton of adjustments, maybe some trades, signings, et cetera, uh, to get through before we're there. But it, it, it there does seem to be a path to them doing it. And at certain times over the last year or so, like it, it was maybe a little less clear that that was even possible, you know? Well, we have $100 million committed to next season, according to... Uh, MLB COTS contracts right now. So if you take that number, you look at what the Cubs did last year. They run 150, 170 million, you know, committed when you take away some of the trades they made, right? You still have dozens of millions of dollars to spend, even if you want to, quote unquote, dial it back and not go all out for this season. That's a lot of money where you can spend around and fall all of a sudden into a contender. The way the Nationals have competed in 2019, the way the Braves came back after multiple injuries, piecing together an outfield with Jock and uh, Adam Duvall and Jorge Soler, and the way their bullpen came to fruition, it is a different style of play now. I feel as if the, and we'll see what happens in the next five years, but the degree of confidence in projections, it's it might be diminishing because you do have more guys coming out of the blue. With the Cubs in 2015, all through 2018, it was just like, you know, the best team was winning. You had the Astros, you had the Red Sox that one year, of course, the Cubs. Uh, Dodgers never did it, but they were always in the mix. It's different now, man. It's 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 you don't know what's going to happen. Even even the Giants last year, no one expected the Giants to almost win 110 games. Are you kidding? But they pieced together a rotation. They got Kevin Gossman back. They got Del Scafani. They mixed and matched their position player group. They played the matchups to perfection. And there is an avenue where the Cubs can take that kind of mirrors what teams have done in the years past here. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, you know, again, I, I, I hope that, you know, it doesn't come off as, uh, you know, maybe delusional optimism or homerism or anything like that. I, th- I think the goal here, at least from our perspective, is can they deliver on what we've heard from them, which is putting a competitive team out on the field in 2022? Can we get a team that when we're in spring training getting ready to head to Wrigley Field for opening day and and start the season, that it is reasonable to think like, yeah, this team could compete. Are they a lock to win the World Series? You know, of course not, like far from it, right? But can they compete? Can we get ready for a potentially interesting season in in, in 2022? And again, I, I think the pathway is there. What they decide to do, I don't know. It's also interesting, you know, Brendan, going back to, and again, this is hard to project, but when you go back to like looking at the Wade Miley move and stuff, I, I still, and and we've talked about this before, and, and it's a thing that Jed Hoyer has mentioned, I, I feel like at some point we're going to get a trade 
of some of these prospects for he keeps saying that you, I, he, you, he's you, just said it so much <laughs> and like when you look at the Wade Miley thing like you're already seeing teams signaling that they're going to be cheap and that they're not going to spend money. You hear rumors about other teams and and what they're going to do with certain players and stuff like that. And it just, it feels like the potential is going to be there. And I think I texted this to you today, but like, it feels like it's about time. Like we've watched teams in our own division go out and pilfer teams that were being cheap, right? We saw the Brewers go after the Marlins to get Christian Yelich. We saw the Cardinals go after um, the Diamondbacks to get Paul Goldschmidt, then the Rockies to get Nolan Arenado. And, you know, each time you're looking at it, and you have to see how that pans out in the future and how the prospects work out and things like that. But at the time, we've never really felt like, oh, man, like this team overpaid for that guy. We always end up feeling like, man, a team in our division just got a really (laughs) solid player and it doesn't feel like it was for that much or like a franchise-altering prospect package. Like, I think it's about time the Cubs do that. Like, you know, let's go find some team that isn't competing, isn't spending money, and like bring your star over here to Chicago. We'll take that money. You can have some of this prospect surplus that we've uh, gathered here over the last year plus. And like, let's let's have the Cubs take their turn at, at getting a guy where people are going. They gave up. That's it. Like they that's all they gave <laughs> right. up to get this guy, right? Like, yeah, let's have Cardinals and Brewers fans be mad that Jed Hoyer. Uh, you know, pulled a heist on somebody. I think it's about time for that. There's There was a report today on that note that Oakland might be uh, engaging teams with Matt Olson. Matt Olson is a free agent not until the 2024 season, so he's got a few more years left. That might be a target. All that is to say that it is possible. We're, and the, the, the fascinating part about this offseason, too, is that Co- the, the uncertainty with COVID and not having fans in the stadium, that is that is behind us, unless something crazy happens. That's that's behind us. So now you have an idea of what the market is going to be. Now, the CBA might put a, a little bit of a divot into that thinking process, but I want to know what is the value, the true value when all teams are involved of the Cubs prospect group, those a-ball guys, those borderline teenagers, 20, 21-year-olds, how are those guys valued? Are they valued more because teams are not willing to trade their higher-level prospects now as they may have once did five, six, seven years ago? And if that's the case, then the Cubs are in a prime position to make a deal, as an example, for like a Matt Olson type. That's going to be the fascinating part, and that could signal a different type of trading, a different type of prospect evaluation that maybe Jed was correct in foreseeing and something that, you know, you and I didn't foresee maybe as well as Jed did. Yeah. And, you know, of course, like, I don't think the calculus has changed, right? You don't want to see them go all in for 2022 and then trading some of those bigger names. Um, But, it, it just seems possible that, you know, you've collected so many prospects, you've had some guys make some interesting jumps, right? You know, we were talking about Nelson Velasquez, who's continued to just tear up the Arizona Fall League. You know, you've seen some names kind of climb up the, the rankings and, and, you know, sort of start 
their breakout performance type deal, you know, is there a package that you can put together? And, you know, you're even looking at some of the guys on the major league roster. We've talked about the uncertainty with guys like Ian Happ and and others. Like, is there stuff, is there maneuvering that can be done by Jed Hoyer to kind of shake things up and and maybe create a perspective that we weren't even really anticipating, right, in terms of what was possible for this team. So I I think he's clearly geared towards the future, right? We're not going to see something that is going to just drastically alter that course, right? Um, but it does seem possible that they can make some moves out there to to make this team better, to get guys that will help them compete in the short term and maybe even the long term um, in a more creative way, right? Like it, it just seems like that potential is there, and I just it's hard to shake that kind of feeling that that might be something we see. Yeah, it, I mean, I'm looking at some of the higher tiered end guys right like you look at Seager I know you're big on Seager right and Carlos Correa and and these top tier free agents Chris Bryant and I'm trying to match whether or not it makes sense to sign those guys if the intention is to not you know go all out for 2022 can you match and can you accurately project where Seager is going to play in 2023 and 2024, as you move guys up through the system like Ed Howard and see where Christian Hernandez's uh, potential looks like, now we're seeing Nelson Velasquez in the outfield. Does that does that change what the Cubs do for signing some of these more expensive guys? And I don't know what I mean. Of course, I don't know what the answer to that is, but it it, it it's a fascinating question. Where does it make sense to you know sign Seager or Correa or some of these guys, and in, in doing so, possibly creating inflexibility for 2023. I don't know the answer to that, but I will say that is kind of why I like signing Corey Seager, and that might be a discussion for a different day because he you can move him around the diamond because he is a shortstop. But all this is to say, you have a lot of possibilities for this offseason. I think this is the, the exciting part about the current Cup situation is it, it does not feel that we're that far away. Like you can squint and you can see them falling into contention for 2022, even with a few more moves. And you can absolutely see them being full out contenders by this time next year. Yeah. So we will see. Uh, you know, there again, a lot of runway here to go, a lot of, you know, issues to, to settle and, and things to figure out uh, just for the Cubs and the league. So we'll see how that all plays out. But it's going to be interesting to follow. And again, I, I, I think, you know, at least for me, I, I, I remain trusting in, in Jed and, and, and the idea that he, he has a plan for what he wants to do here. And then obviously when other teams are involved and players and personal decisions and things like that, you don't always control it. Best laid plans, right? Um, but it does feel like Jed has a very clear direction for how he wants this franchise to head, what the timing is of some of this stuff. And um, I'm hoping that we, you know, kind of get to see him execute that to the best of his abilities in this offseason. Last question for you, Brendan, and then we can uh, wrap up for the week. Um, Just, you know, why not, right? Have you moved on from the idea of of any of the the three core members returning? Are you even thinking about that? Is that even on your radar, or have you just moved on from that idea? I mean, let me be honest with you. Like, like Rizzo Rizzo has moved on in my mind. Um, 
Don't see it happening. Uh, Javi, the potential is there, right? He does not have the QO attached, so that's nice. You can bring him back. Javi's issues still remain. Uh, I can see other teams outspending the Cubs because of that. You're going to kill me for saying it, but like I have not moved on from Chris Bryant. It just makes so yeah, much I know. sense, Corey. <laughs> so much sense for him to, 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 for him to come back. Like, come on, man. Like, all the positional flexibility, all the issues the Cubs have in the outfield. Bring this man back. You have the money now. Bring him back. Yeah, uh, I yeah. I mean, I, I figured I would ask just because, you know, some those guys do fill, like, you know, Javi's a shortstop, right? Like, we've talked about shortstop. So, it, you know, some of these guys do fill these these voids potentially. I don't know. I'm open to I, I it. Think... I'm open to Javi coming back. I just feel as if you you see some of the reports even coming out today where it's like Javi seven years, 150, and I just don't, like, I don't know. Maybe the Cubs end up doing that, but I feel as if they're not in the place to be spending that type of money in this current situation. You don't know what Javi's going to be like in 2023. Chris Bryant is more projectable, and that might give the Cubs more of a justification to sign him. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, generally, I I've, I've moved on from the idea, not because I don't Even think Chris some Bryant? of them... Even Chris Bryant? You've moved I, on from Chris Bryant? I think in the in the right context, I think all of them would make sense for, for this team, depending yeah, on true. you know the contracts and things like that. But positionally, I think you can make an argument for any of them. Yeah. Um, but it's just easier for my mental well-being to have accepted what happened and, you know, try to move on and, and not sort of re, re-enter those, those places in my brain that? and just to get disappointed again, that? right? Like it just I, seems a little easier to move on in that regard. But, um, yeah, I mean, you know, worth, worth discussing. And, you know, of course, when it all happened, Jed said that, you know, we never close any doors, right? So we'll see if any of those I mean, are he did say he uh, still open. I, you re- know, one thing we've talked about, too, you, you still, you know, need to see that move. The Cubs got to sell some jerseys, right? And, like, people will support that. We've talked about the support of the team and, and you know, filling the stadium. We've gone into all that, so I don't want to relitigate that now. Um, but, you know, as we've talked about, you traded three guys that probably make up 90% of the jerseys on, on any given day. Like at some point, you know, you hope they do more than this and they're building a competitive team. But at some point, we got to see some moves that start to give you some faces, right? And some people that um, fans, you know, casual or otherwise can l- really latch on to. Um, and, you know, of course, like Wilson Contreras has been here a while, but he's a pending free agent soon. Kyle Hendricks has been here a while, but you know, typically uh, when I've been at Wrigley Field, those are not the jerseys you see in, in any predominant fashion. So um, would bringing one of those guys back, you know, kind of be an easy, justifiable move to uh, the, the the budget and the ownership to say like, you know, we need to spend some money because we got to get some faces back on this team and, and give some people to spend their, their merch money and all that other stuff. Doesn't have to be those three guys, but, you know, at some point you, you maybe got to start... Uh, Got to start moving some product, Brendan, you know? And uh, All right, here comes Jorge Soler coming back to the Cubs. Yeah, congrats to him. World Series MVP. Deserves it. Let me ask you, let me ask you a tough question, sure. though. And it's, you know, you, you, can, you can change, but of the three guys you had, you had to pick right now, given the situation, like, who, who would you bring back? Like, would it be Javi because like of Like, just who I want? Time? I mean, I know you want all of them, but, like, who do you think does make the most sense in this current situation? 
Well, I, I think I agree with you that, you know, Chris is the best player and he provides you that positional versatility, which, you know, you've got some guys now who you're not really sure where they're going to be playing every day, stuff like that. So I think he provides you the most value uh, anyway, but in addition with his his positional versatility. So I would say Chris. Um, I think Anthony's going to be fascinating because I just don't know what he's going to get offered, right? Uh and I think you can make a very easy argument to find somewhere for, you know, whether it's having Frank DH or whatever it is, right? Like, I, if you can get Anthony Rizzo for pennies on the dollar relative to kind of what we all thought he would have been getting, right? Like, that seems tough to pass up to me. Um, so that's kind of a roundabout answer to that. I mean, you gave me the most indirect possible answer, but I get it. Well, I, I didn't mean, say like, Javi, so I at <laughs> least right, didn't say I, I at least eliminated one for you. So Javi's third in that list for you. That's fair. I mean, if Rizzo's going to be a $50 million signing, which some projections out there from respectable sources suggest, if the Cubs don't sign Rizzo for $50 million, right. like, I don't know what that's kind of That's kind of what I mean, right? Like, you figure yeah. out what to do with Frank Schwindel later. Like, the guy's a franchise legend, and he's a great first baseman. And you assume cheap. the hitting comes back. You know, he, he didn't have a good, uh, you know, half season in New York or whatever, but, you know, he's a better hitter than, than that. So I think you'd have to explore that, and, you know, you deal yeah. with where you're playing everybody at, at a later time. Yep. All right. It's going to be a fun off season. We got what the GM meetings next week. Is that what it is? I think they're happening now. Now? See, I'm out of the loop here, man. All right. Well, they're happening now. We'll see what happens. Nothing usually happens at those. Um, you never know. But yeah, we'll see. I, you know, again, like keep an eye on stuff. Uh, it, it's already sort of started moving. And, you know, as always with the off season, Brendan and I will jump on here and do you know, midweek, multiple midweeks, whatever we have to do, depending on uh, the significance of the move. That scale is basically up to Brendan and I. Um, Wade Miley being claimed on waivers is not worthy of, you know, sort of an emergency podcast. No offense to Wade Miley, but that's just the the scale we're using. Um, You know, like if the Cubs signed John Gray, we'd jump on here and talk about it immediately. Um, you know, certainly like if they signed Corey Seager, I, we would jump on here and talk about it after I was running through the streets of Wrigleyville freaking <laughs> out. So maybe a little later in that evening, you got to give me a little buffer time to, uh, freak out a little bit. Um, but you guys get it. Like if it's significant, if it's really moving the needle, we'll jump on here and talk about it right away. Uh, otherwise we will talk to you guys a week from now. As always, we appreciate you guys listening to supporting, downloading, uh, engaging with the Cubs related podcast. If you have not done so and can leave us a five-star review on the Apple Podcasts app, we would appreciate that. Uh, but otherwise, yeah, thank you guys for listening. We're, you know, as Pat Hughes always says, fasten those seatbelts, Cub fans, because we are in in the beginning of what may be a very interesting offseason. So uh, looking forward to discussing it with you all. We will talk to you soon. And as always, go Cubs.